this week on Deep Night. The bar was called Cheap Shots because they had cheap shots. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a, I mean, I just had a blast. Like we were just playing really- Cheap Shots with a Z? Uh, no, I believe it was the S. Okay, they don't. Right. They no longer exist anymore. Oh, Probably sadly. a condemned building. Charged more for the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was their downfall. <laughs> Oh, friends, hello and welcome to the Deep Night. It's me, Dale Seaver, and let me be your host, your cool uncle, your slowly spinning meditation record that you found in a thrift store for a dollar. If you've already ascended to the astral plane this evening, take my spirit hand and let's sail on through this, the hour of regrets and revelations. We come to you tonight as we always do from the foul banks of the Gowanus. Today is a fine conversation on the program as I am joined by the wonderful comedian and DJ Nina Tarr. Nina was in town from Los Angeles and we had such fun in the Deep Night Studios. As far as my life, well, it's all consuming preparing for a trip to San Francisco and SF Sketchfest. We'll have quite a time of it expressing our resistance to evil forces in the world with a free show at the witching hour of 430 in the afternoon. Yes, that's when the mind and body are ready to receive comedy, 4.30 p.m. on a Saturday. The show is at Piano Fight with Jenny Zagrino, Allie Gertz, and Philip Ross with music by Lisa Mezzacappa. 4.30 is great. Sometimes on the weekend, I won't really get going till about 3 p.m. That's when I'm finally prepared to put on clothes that are not Malaysian sleeping robes and uh, and run to the corner store for an extra bottle of golden milk or raisin kombucha. We have a health food store near us, and every time Galinda asks me to go, I get excited. (laughs) I'm always eager to try new things. Fermented paste, hand-rolled oat patties, single-origin tofu dogs. And every time I load up my little basket, I never get the cart. I refuse. Every time I get to the checkout, counter, arms brimming with quality organic products, I think, "Ah, I should have gotten the cart. (laughs) You know, when you look down and your fingers are red and stiff from holding on to those little metal arms, those brackets, I tell you, distribute a soft grip for those things and you make a fortune. Antibacterial somehow, but still, a little dirty foam won't kill you. Anyway, the lady rings me up and it's like $100, no matter what I get. And you look and think, if all of this is from the earth, all that nature provides naturally, how is it so expensive? Does the earth need a little scratch? I mean, this is stuff I could grow in my backyard, and I might. (laughs) It's very damp back there, covered in weeds. I'm sure there's a backyard salad I can make from bits of vines and things. But you dump $100 on healthy items, and what happens? I get home, I get so excited... I want to try everything all right away, and wouldn't you know it, know it by uh, 6 o'clock? 6 o'clock, I'm starving. I've eaten twice as much as I should have. So, yes, I'm a little paunchy. It's a health paunch. Do I have more energy thanks to all that turmeric and ginger? Who cares? I'm bloated and full of sesame crackers. Pass the remote. <laughs> I sometimes ask Linda to bring me our new fractal imagery calendar so I can relax and just let things digest while staring into the infinitely repeating patterns. Folks, Nina Tarr can be found DJing throughout Los Angeles or hosting comedy and music and art events at the underground space Basic Flowers or popping up elsewhere in that fine city 
or this one. Sometimes she's here, too. New York City, Brooklyn, who knows where she's going to be next. She's a gifted comedian and does stand-up all over the place, hustling gigs, showing up. She's doing the work that is required, that's for sure. I'm so impressed with Nina. I really am. She embodies something promising about our future. Uh, a generous soul, she is, who transitioned from, uh, I gather, an awkward uh, kind of geeky uh, gal in Orange County to, to becoming a real force in Los Angeles in the cultural scene. She has regular DJ residencies at venues like the Ace Hotel and No Vacancy and the, the Shortstop. And she's DJed along the likes of Questlove and Todd Edwards, Ariel Pink, and many more. We talk about collecting records and pursuing comedy and what it means to find your voice in uh, this terrific episode. Visit ninatar.com for more on Nina and where she's going to be next. But now, let's go together ever further into the deep night for a conversation with Nina Tarr. Nina Char, how are you, my friend? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm doing. I'm doing okay. You're enjoying New York City. Yeah, it's great. It's been treating me very, very kindly. Yes, mm-hmm. had a wild car ride over. I understand. Yes, There's someone who wanted to grab a meal on the way. Yeah, a full like a don't he like specifically repeatedly throughout the car ride was upset that he didn't grab a meal as though I'm like what am I supposed to do in this situation and then I'm the asshole yeah you'd think uh, probably he has all day to get that yeah or like wait till he's done dropping me off like I'm gonna sp- I'm supposed to pay for his like yeah you know, I don't get it whatever you want a diner experience what did he want I think he just wanted to stop at a Dunkin Donuts and get a donut Fast and a food. coffee yeah but I'm like, just do it before you pick me up. Exactly. Why? Plan your day. Plan your day better. You have things, places to places to be, things to do. Things to be, places things to, to be. do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you sent me a tickler, letting me know that you were going to be in town. Uh, I'll tell you in advance of our conversation that uh, last night I set up a Pandora station to listen mm-hmm. to uh, all the jellies, uh, because I, I gather that's a, 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 an album you enjoy. Well, yes, it's actually... So the specific song that I really enjoy is called Jive Baby on a Saturday Night. And I'm actually, I'm not really that familiar other than that with their music. I don't think there's much. (laughs) That's what I would assume. (laughs) But uh, it's the most expensive record I own. Really? Yeah, it's like really, it's like a $150 record just for a piece of vinyl. And it's that, well, we'll get into that. But that's, it's just the one song? Yeah, it's just, it's just Jive Baby on a Saturday Night. People spend thousands of dollars on a goddamn spoon (laughs) or a stamp. So like, I feel like a record actually has like a... Purpose that plays music. We talking a couple hundred bucks? Yeah, I mean, I think this record was like one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah, um, a lot of uh, a lot of slow beats, some vibes, some good vibes. It's deep, deep cuts. Deep cuts. Feels that you feel in your gut. I was bouncing through the dreamscape last night, Nina. Did you sleep okay? What's your deal here? You got an Airbnb? I got an air mattress. Ah. <laughs> I'm staying at I'm staying at a friend's place and she has Wonderful. a lovely apartment in Williamsburg and uh it looks like Yoko Ono's Ono's storage unit. It's like very it's like white, all white with like Peter Max art everywhere. But it's lovely. It's great. Yeah. And I have, have a bed. To, you have to tie a little hope or a wish to the uh bedpost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the French press. It's just, just filled with dream catchers and yerba mates. <laughs> you don't undress, you cut off your clothes at the Yeah, end of the night. it's getting very expensive. It <laughs> sounds fantastic. But speaking of dreams, you, of course, famously live in Los Angeles. Yes. 
That's wonderful. And so what brings you out here for this trip? Well, uh, I am doing a bunch of comedy shows, ah. um, as well as some DJ gigs, because, you know, get a girl who can do both. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I kind of made the trip, like, in December, and the tickets were super cheap, and I was like... You know, I've never been to New York in the winter, and I understand why. Yeah. But I have to say, yeah. it's been kind of nice. It's yeah. been like 40 degrees. For it's me, not, it's, it's not been that bad. For yeah. me, it's interesting because I'm like, oh, it's snowing. How char- I don't have to live in this. So right. I'm like, ooh, it's cold. What a new experience for my body to be in. <laughs> and, you know, that's it's fun. It's it's fun for me. So That's how they get you. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So I booked the tickets, and then I'm visiting one of my best friends. She's amazing. And uh, I was like, well, i got to make it worthwhile. So then I booked... Uh, three comedy shows and two DJ gigs and uh, seeing some other shows. I saw Sleep No More. I saw... Oh, yes. Yeah, I saw... I'm going to see a sex show tonight at the box. Oh, that (laughs) sounds fun. What's involved? I'm not sure yet, but I've heard it's like... It's like going to it's like going to Thailand and watching like a ping pong ball in the vagina the whole show you know something like that's crazy uh-huh. it's supposed to be insane so it's various sex acts that you can do with the body <laughs> I mean you are viewing that yes, you're not yes. participating no, no, I wasn't implying that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean I mean maybe we should have done this podcast tomorrow because I, I probably will have so many more stories about it so <laughs> well, yeah I don't I mean I'm not really sure I've never <laughs> seen a live sex act so. Well, that's fitting for the new administration coming in, because they seem to be fond of that, too. Uh, well, of course, you did. Uh, I do want to hear about that. Send me send me a note. I will. Uh, the ping pong ball. Uh, how do you get started with that? I think you know what I could do with this ping pong ball. I know. Where does the, where does, is the genesis of that project? Yeah. I don't know. Somebody needs to trace the origins. I would love to see like an Ancestry.com map of the <laughs> origin of a ping pong ball in the pussy story. That'd be great. It'd be nice if you also had celebrities uh, tracking uh, their own histories with sex acts. Oh, wow. You're on to something. It doesn't have to be just celebrities, but, you know, who do you think you are yeah. doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to see. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Well. Put it in the file. Uh, you uh, were so great. You we part of our Los Angeles show. Yes. That we did almost a year ago. It was very fun. At the, it was fun. Thank <laughs> you for doing it. And uh, as I was telling you, I was sorry we didn't have a chance to talk. You were spinning uh, great vinyl all night. And um, it's, it's wonderful, though, to welcome you properly uh, to the deep night where... Uh, things can happen, and you're already experiencing lots of things that lots New York has to offer. And you, uh, you do stand up, and you host shows, mm-hmm. uh, um, and by all accounts, are an internet comedy star. Am I? I think you are, and uh, lots of videos. There's I, lots of videos. I guess you're right. With many, many bazillion hits, they have lots of lots of uh, views. Oh, I guess yeah. I guess with BuzzFeed, yes. they do. I forget about these. Things. Yeah, you're out there. Um, but I want to start with the music. Is that yes. all right? Let's oh, start with that. of course. Um, the passion for that. Okay. Um, you, like me, are a collector, as I you am. said. Uh, you collect vintage and rare vinyl? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> but when did that start for you? Were your parents collectors? No. It's so funny. People always ask, like, oh, yeah. your parents must be really into music. My mother's a scientist, uh-huh. and her favorite band is, like, Sting. Loves loves Sting as mothers do. Very sensual music. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, it's a like great music for divorced women. You know, like they love it. <laughs> they uh, do. My father is a bit more into music, but like, I mean, his favorite band of all time to a deep obsession is Yes. Oh, he's a very prog rock guy. So okay. it's not like I was getting many gems from him. 
He did show me King Crimson, so I have to. And yes, it's pretty good. But yeah, it's kind of. Um, yeah, my parents were not really into music as much as I was. Um, but were they into collecting things? Not at all. Object? No. I didn't get Spare? a touch of vinyl from either of my parents. They got rid of it before I was born. <laughs> yeah. I was born in 1990, and then at that time, I mean, people were just buying, they were just buying CDs and tapes. And so. Yeah, you know was, who was? I was. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't like a touch of vinyl in my life until I. Um, I mean, I didn't even start with vinyl. just started with music when I was, like, 13. Um, I got really into punk music because um, I grew up in Orange County, which is the genesis of a lot of really amazing punk music, you know, from TSOL to Agent Orange. You know, Black Flag is from Hermosa. Right. SST is a record label started in San Pedro, which has, like, the Minutemen. And, you know, it's uh, very rich with, uh, with great music down there. Obviously, you know, far before I was born, but... There's still echoes of that that exist. Is that uh, in resistance to uh, uh, the perceived uh, homogeneity of uh, Orange County? I believe so. I mean, I, I really, I definitely think so. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> punk music is a derivative of, like, uh, it's it's great music for, for teenagers, you know, because yeah. you can t- completely identify with the frustration yet, the inability to express yourself. And so punk music is just this spastic sneeze of an emotion. I'm like, bah, 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 bah. they can't play their instruments well, you know? And when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, you don't, you can't express yourself well. You don't right. understand yourself, but all these things are happening and you're angry and you're confused. And I think punk music is a great uh, representation of that. So anyway, I got really into punk music. Um, so that was kind of my leap into obscurity. Um, and then from there, I kind of backtracked, you know, a little bit. And then I looked at the macro and I was like, oh, Velvet Underground. Ooh, Echo and the Bunnymen. Ooh, like, and I started to collect records when I was like about 14, 15. And then, you know, I'm 26 now and I have like about 2,000 records. It's a good, good amount it's a of good, records. It's, a, it's an expensive hobby. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't have another hobby that was competing for it, I imagine. Um. Well, oh, no. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not like in a sport. I didn't. People are like, no, how are you a DJ and a it. comedian? It's like, yeah. I don't know how to do math. That's why. I'm like, I'm uneducated about most things. So it just happens to do, I do these two things really well. That's it. But, um, <laughs> Uh, the, do you remember going to uh, your first record store, though? Were there still record stores when you were a Yeah. Kid? I mean, like, that's, I think that, like, you know, it, it's interesting because um, I was talking to a friend about this, um, about how, like, you know, record sales have actually increased. Like, the last, like, few years, it's become this kind of kitschy thing that you can do, and right. it's fun, and it's kind of, like, it's like mason jar music, you know. It's like a, it's um, it's fun for people to That's collect. Upsetting. Yeah, I know, but yes. it's like you could buy a record player at Urban Outfitters, and they sell records at Urban Outfitters. They sell like right. Lana Del Rey records mm. and like Rihanna. You can buy Rihanna on vinyl. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy and not really necessary. But like, you know, I was talking to my friend about this. Like, you know, this reinsurgence of vinyl playing and everything. How does that? fair like do you think that that's going to fade away again i'm like it's always record stores and record collectors have been there since the 50s or the 40s and will continue to be there right now there is a increase in um you know mostly just public you know infatuation with it people are interested in it but like once that kind of dies down again and people start collecting like 
tapes or whatever, whatever the new thing is. Um, there's still going to be record stores that exist. There's still going to be vinyl collectors. It just won't be massly consumed like it is as much now. Right. I, I would advise against collecting tapes. <laughs> yeah, they don't really have a good shelf life. <laughs> they don't hold up. No. <laughs> don't. I, I, li- I like them. But, you know, there was a thing going around recently on uh, Facebook that said, like, here's your influential albums or something like that. Can this. I say something about that? Absolutely. <laughs> Please do. That is one of the most bullshit things that people have been doing. Because they're like, top ten albums that inspired me as a teenager. Like, the Beatles' White Album. They're like talking about like very challenging albums. And I refuse to participate in like, it's like the most narcissistic thing people could do. You know, when they're like, describe yourself in three fictional characters. Like, let me spend an hour of my time describing myself to other people. Well, Peggy Bundy, of course. Um, (laughs) Jessica Rabbit. And Carmela Soprano. You know, it's just like... this is, but the top ten album thing, it's like they're just trying to like flex these muscles and ever. It's like you were listening to Sublime and No Effects. Get the fuck out of here with your like <laughs> um, Bjork's first album when she was with the Sugar Cubes. Right. And it's like fuck you. No, right. Sorry, that's why. No, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm in a similar boat because I, what I see there are people like looking up the top albums of that year and then just listing the albums of that year and I feel the same way I don't think I don't trust you that you were listening to that as as something that had a profound influence on you as a high school student and in fact if I were to list mine I'm too embarrassed to list the ones and that's why you don't that's why you and I are honest and I don't participate in these like Stupid uh, uh, social media, cultural Facebook, you know, contributions. I, I don't, I don't need it. <laughs> Mostly, there were things I bought from Columbia House. You're probably too young to remember. I remember but... Columbia House because my mother also didn't like music, and it's like, the, it's like music. If you want people to think you like music, <laughs> that's like <laughs> it, ten CDs for a dollar. Exactly. You can't beat it. But the things that I got. Oh, they're so bad. My mom just got like Shania Twain and Third Eye Blind, and like it was just like yeah, the, the albums of the year usually. Yeah, you get a Beaches soundtrack, mm-hmm. you get a Billy Joel Stormfront, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Terrible. <laughs> not like not even in retrospect are they cool. <laughs> no, they no. Just, it's just this. It's not like ooh, during when it came out, it wasn't that great. But like you got to give it another listen. It's like <laughs> no, no that there's, just there's no second listen. No. required for Crash Test Dummies. Oh gosh, they, you just don't need it. <laughs> or Matchbox 20. Or or the 20. Uh, I remember you sh- you started with punk, which is great. I, uh, if I may share, and maybe this explains why they were so embarrassing, I remember distinctly moving through musical genres from about middle school or so. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, music was not unimportant to the family, but nor were we a kind of family that sat on the front porch and was like, come on, son, pick up your fiddle and let's, uh, you know, <laughs> watch the sun go down and play the old traditionals. That's not what happened. So but you we... weren't raised in the 30s. Uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Not that old. But uh, we would have music during dinner, you know, creating a, a soundscape. Not unlike That's what lovely. you do with DJing, I'm sure, setting the mood. And uh, I got to pick, which appealed to my... Libra controlling sensibilities and was always wonderful, but they were things that were from the from the jazz catalog, that kind of thing. So I moved from a kind of, uh, I would say maybe uh, classical, and then I went into uh, oldies, wow. easy listening. Maybe those were reversed, and uh, then I went into jazz and then into blues. 
because at a certain point I needed words, you know, <laughs> anything, please. As a middle schooler, you were listening to like easy listening and classical Isn't music. Isn't that odd? That's very odd. Yes, it gives you an idea. <laughs> I, <laughs> I see it now that you say it. I'm like, that's... Mm. Okay. All right. <laughs> things that were easy, easy on the ears. <laughs> Nothing too challenging. <laughs> was one of my first concerts Kenny G? Yes, it was. Oh, wow. Circular breathing, Nina. Wow. That's the trick. My first concert was Destiny's Child. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Beyond, I saw Beyonce. I think, honestly, if I were to say the first one as a kid, I went to see Grover Washington Jr. Oh, okay. well, this one was at, when I was like seven years old. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that was my... It yeah. wasn't really a choice. It was more like, as a seven-year-old, it's not We're like, going. Yeah. Yes. This is what we're doing today. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, I do feel like I was very deliberate about that. Do you felt that way, too, trying to connect the dots that led into Definitely. It, into I can definitely identify with that. Because, I mean, really, truth be told, pri- I say punk I started off with because that is actually the first genre that I myself uh, suck out and um, educated myself about and did research on. Yeah. But prior to that, what got me into punk music actually was like, of course, the ubiquitous classical rock. So I was obsessed. Mm. This is very embarrassing. I was obsessed. I was 12, 13. Uh, I was obsessed with the doors. I love oh. the doors. Sure. I had three Doors posters in my room. Wow. I read No One Here Gets Out Alive. I read John Densmore's Riders on the Storm. He was the drummer. Yeah. I know everything about that band. It's ridiculous. But, of course, I was, like, smoking weed as, like, a yeah, – I was started smoking weed when I was, like, 12, 13. And so Jimi Hendrix and, like, the classic yeah. Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, The Wall, you know, all of that was really <laughs> – just really so trippy and really connected to me. And then I think from – I think it was like the doors to like the Stooges. Uh-huh. And then from the Stooges I was like got into punk music. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, this is then I was just fully immersed in it cuz I think the classic rock thing that was like my dad, you know. Yeah. My dad, my mom. It's like who doesn't like, you know, like, Janis Joplin. You right. like this, you know. And... <laughs> but there is a little bit of a rebellious spirit in Certainly the Doors. Definitely. First, but, I mean, you might not see it now, but I think at the time, there that was a little bit, there was some aggression there. It's just a narcissistic guy singing, like, <laughs> nonsensical poems about his dick, really. Oh, there's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what the Doors is. I guess you're right. <laughs> I do like that organ, though. Oh, yeah. Ray Manzarek yeah. was, I mean, he produced... Just to connect it back into punk, Please he do. produced X's first album, Los Angeles, you know, where I'm from. So, there you go. Oh, very full circle. See, it connects. That's why they cover Soul Kitchen on that album. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But he produced that album. Pretty cool. Well, yeah. I like knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> I also, you know, some of those uh, groups, because I had, as you are hearing, a kind of limited experience with popular music. I didn't tune into that. So I would experience it by going to the mall. And you'd have a lot of uh, mm. mall playing on the... Or the radio. On the radio. Yeah. Or I was often uh, with my mother and waiting for her in the women's dressing room. And she would try to... It's an awkward experience for a young man. Uh, I saw a lot of bras very early on. Not sure what to do with that information. <laughs> but that would... In the limited or something, waiting around, I'd hear the, hear the music. That was my access to it. But when you go into Sam Goody, you know, the record store, mm-hmm. you would see the album covers... And things of, of, of some of the bands you're talking about, some of the musicians you're talking about. And I was quite afraid of all the heavy metal. 
They have a very aggressive font. I never got into that. And uh, scary imagery and all that. And it was frightening. But then if you go back and listen to some of this stuff, it's kind of like harmless... You know what's uh, interesting? Garbage music. I did, it is. Like, to me, it's kind of garbage music. I didn't under because I thought punk was cool. Yeah. I don't think heavy metal's cool. No. I think the guys are hotter in punk bands, too. They dress better. Yeah. I think they were making cooler stuff, and they had a political message. Yeah. Whereas a guy in heavy metal bands were usually, like, fat, and I would assume smelly with, like, long hair and sweaty, and they were just, like, making dumb music. They didn't take care of themselves. It's just dumb. And- they just look like they were made out of cheeseburgers. Yeah. I was like, I just was, I never got into metal, ever. I was just like, fuck that. No, yeah, I can't, I couldn't do it. Or like, what was that wave of like, like scream, oh, like, like, like screamo or like emo music where it's like the guys with the, the swoopy hair, yes. the black, this horrible. Dyed black swoopy hair. Awful music. A little <laughs> bit, I think, taking a Green Day. Oh, inspired yeah. Inspired by that a little bit. It was just like, or like under oath. And they were weird. It was like out of like a Christian, they were like Christian though. It was so weird to me. And they were bad. Like in my in my mind, it was objectively bad. Yes. I was just like, this is awful. We all <laughs> this agree. Is horrible music. I, it's not one that has stood the test of time. No, I think people now, like there's like Taking Back Sunday or Dashboard Confessionals, those, but oh, it's like yeah. whiny white boy music. Like, this is more last chance to put. I'm like, oh. it's, I can't even impersonate it. It's like, hor- it's awful. You had a physical it's reaction. Very traumatic for me. <laughs> and some of those other ones, they're they're real. Um, they're just kind of bluesy. Like yeah. you listen, like I white boys cannot sing blues music. It's very offensive. I mean, Mick Jagger was writing the line a little bit, and he did it. I, I, I and agree I'm, with you. You know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that's a cultural appropriation and theft. Yeah, I don't want to hear a guy from Montana be like, pick a bale of cotton. Oh, Lord, pick a bale of It's like, your name is Dennis. (laughs) Get out of here, please. People still do it. People, I actually, it's it's remarkable. You still see like white men singing blues. I'm like. Dennis' second album though. (laughs) (laughs) Really solid stuff. (laughs) He connected in a profound way. To the plight of the sharecropper. (laughs) (laughs) Sharecropper's plight. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, But, you know, also with all of these, we're talking about that, how scared I was of some of those album covers. But my father did a job in Saudi Arabia, and he brought back um, working for, it doesn't matter, building something that probably has sunk into the desert for uh, a questionable royal family. But um, they... um, he brought back these tapes, and I was so intrigued by them. It was the Star Wars soundtrack oh. and Simon and Garfunkel. And the just the way that, like, Saudi Arabia interpreted and what, you know, it wasn't like from the company. <laughs> it's just yeah. like maybe somebody on the street. Like a bootleg kind of, of a Simon and Garfunkel. And it all sounded fine, but the, the imagery was so great. And why I bring that up is only because uh, later, as I got into things, past blues into world, I am always charmed by a very strange-looking, somewhat vaguely foreign uh, attempt at an album cover, and it'll get me every time. Once they had Tower Records and all that, I'd go and then just buy the weirdest cover would be the thing that would draw me in. Did you ever get uh, I, I, into that with I the collecting? I do. I don't, you know, okay, I don't gamble, but I will spend money on a record. I have no idea what it is. Yeah. So, like, I, if I go to record stores, which I do quite a bit, and I dig around, if I, if there's a compelling 
album, like, I mean, an album cover, I'll buy it. I mean, why, what do I have to lose? Like $10? That's not that bad. Yeah, it might no. sound like shit, which sometimes they do. But sometimes buying records based off the album cover is not always a bad thing. I've no. done it before, and I've actually discovered things like that. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. But um, I love, like, the album covers of, like, world music. I, I listen to a lot of world music, mm-hmm. and, like, the font of, like, you know, like Thai, uh, like Thai font or like yeah. Thai. I guess the the language. Uh, it's so cool looking. Yeah. It's one of the coolest looking languages. They ever. hit it out of the park with that. I so. mean, it's amazing. It's just J's, like <laughs> all J's, <laughs> just S's and J's. S's and J's, some dots <laughs> thrown in here. I and love there. it. Tilda's Wonderful. very oh, tilde y. Put it in. <laughs> yes. Throw it in. A dash of tilde. <laughs> I think the last uh, one I bought like that, um, Lazy Bones. Oh my God! So great uh, by Witch, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Amazing album. Amazing. It's really good. Good solid mm-hmm. stuff. How about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, were you able to do some collecting while you're here in New York? Um, not really, because I brought. Um, I, I just like never when I whenever I come here, I come here quite often. I just don't want to bring more stuff back. I have too much stuff. Yeah. But also, I I couldn't because I have a record bag that I brought that is. Just impossible to carry. It's like a Techniques bag, and it's like a backpack, but it's packed to the brim because I'm DJing two gigs, and I just can't, like, it just can't possibly fit anything more in there. So I'm just like, I don't want to go record shopping. When when did the DJing start? You obviously were collecting the things, and I said, oh, why don't I play them? Um, Yeah, well, I guess it kind of, I mean, it's just like, it was a happy accident, I guess. I just was collecting records when I was younger, um, and I, I collected mostly, like, punk albums like kind of obscure rare punk albums um that I really liked and we just listened to them and had no education on you know DJing at all um at the time I was like 19 um I had a fake ID per usual and (laughs) I (laughs) sure and um I was like hanging out with a lot of like punk bands I was like in a band myself a horrible band called Nope and I didn't play I Barely played bass. I yep. didn't. We didn't do anything, by the way. It wasn't like a band. It was Those are my favorites. <laughs> yeah, non-band. <laughs> um, so I, I just had a lot of friends that were playing music at the time. And uh, like you know, a lot of them knew that I had these records. And the first time I DJed was at this place called The Prospector in Long Beach. And it was for a friend's band called Gestapo Kazi. Yes. I'm on board. <laughs> and there is three, uh, there's like three bands on the bill. And they're like, Nina, you have records and they have turntables there. Why don't you play some music in between the bands? And I was like, so scared but honored. I was like, oh, that sounds great. So um, my friend and I, she, her and I had very similar taste in music and very similar records and both collected records. So we actually started DJing together when we were like, yeah, 19 was the first gig I did was at this show. And then I would just kind of, I would do house parties and everything, but it was really just playing music in between bands or at like these kind of punk houses, which was great because it's like, from what I do now, which is like, I mean, I play a lot of like accessible disco and funk, which is, I love so much. But at the time I was playing like Wire and like, Pure Ubu and like Black Randy and like all these like very weird bands and people loved it. Um, but yeah, from the first residency I had in Long Beach, I was 20, I believe, was at this place called the bar was called Cheap Shots because Classy. they had cheap shots. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a I mean, I just had a blast. Like we were just playing cheap really shots with a Z. 
Uh, no, I believe it was the S. Okay, they don't. Right. They no longer exist anymore. Oh, Probably sadly. a condemned building. Charged more for the show. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was their downfall. <laughs> it's not really really solid economic plan no, for the them. The business model is not. No, cheap right, shots. <laughs> it's right there. In the name. Mm. I. Uh, but yeah, I I started doing that spot, and then when I moved to Los Angeles, when I was. 20, I, people, I think it was just, it was like that word of mouth thing where you fake it till you make it where somebody's like, oh, you're a DJ. I'm like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a DJ. And I'm like, well, why don't you DJ with me this? I mean, it pays this much. I'm like, and then I was getting paid to do it. And then it just kind of got bigger and bigger. And now that's my primary source of income. And I DJ quite a bit and I love it so much. So yeah, kind of just stumbled in. It wasn't really, I was trying to do it. It just the pathway led to it. That's <laughs> often the best way to do something. Yeah. So you kind of... Uh, Don't force it. Yes. You try <laughs> too hard and you see it. People mm-hmm. burn out. But what's the minimum amount of records you need to bring with you to do a show? Well, I'm a notorious overpacker. So, I mean, I could honestly... I just... I always want to be prepared for whatever is to come. And especially right. if I'm playing, like... I don't know the crowds a lot, especially if I'm coming to, like, New York. I don't know what to expect. So, like, I mean, I bring, like, I feel like the minimum that I could bring is, like, 80 records, which is too many, to be honest with you. Like, it's it's really too many. I have, I have friends that bring, they'll do a three-hour set, and they just, like, they know the amount of records to bring, and they'll bring, like, you know, 20, 30 records. And I'm just like, how do you do it? Like, I... I can't right. do it. I just want to be able to like have things on hand because like oh, oh these people are really responding to like you know uh, soul from you know northern soul. I gotta play more soul or they're right. responding to the like so yeah. But I just I brought a large amount. I brought like a big backpack and I was like it was very difficult for me to pack because I was like oh, what re- what record if I don't bring this then I can't bring this and this and so yeah I brought a lot of stuff. Has anything happened while you're DJing that just was outrageous? Oh, constantly. <laughs> constantly. I imagine. Not from me DJing, just the what the responses and of people. I've got I want to make a coffee table book of all of the things me and my friends that are DJs are told while we're DJing, which is <laughs> the most abs- I mean, you wouldn't believe, people think I'm fucking with them. It's abs- <laughs> it's insane what people say. I've gotten uh several times. I mean, like probably 10 times. Are those real records? <laughs> no. They're not. I'm actually an actor and I'm an animatronic like there's house music playing and I'm just queuing it up. I'm just a model pretending what I'm doing. I've gotten uh it's so cool that you're a girl and that you DJ. Like is the girl part cool about it? I've gotten the craziest requests. I mean just absurd requests. The my favorite one is no joke. This guy was not joking whatsoever. People were dancing. He was like, do you have any Mumford and Sons? Oh. Like, no. let's bring this down to the dentist office <laughs> level of, like, the, the music you... Now. Yeah, it's like the music you listen to when you're getting your cancer diagnosis. You know, it's like, why would I... And why would I have that on vinyl? I just... It was so... It's... I mean, that's just that's just a few things I've been talking. I mean, there, I have a myriad of many other. It's crazy. People say insane shit, and they're all kinds of things. I mean, you're supporting yourself with all this, so you must do you do uh, pool parties and uh, private parties and yeah. houses and you know, 
all over all kinds of things. Yeah, all kinds of. You sent that as like a scarily suggestive. <laughs> oh, the, the image of the ping pong lady oh got my into God. my head. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to start with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so that's that's going great guns. You've been doing it, as you said, six seven years or so, and now you've got a real. And there's a network, and of course. Uh, well, is there a network of lady DJs? Does it make any difference? It's great. I mean, I actually run a night in Los Angeles called All Girls All Vinyl, and I've been running it for three years. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. I mean, like, there's very few... There's there's not that many female DJs, and then female vinyl DJs. I mean, just vinyl DJs in general is right. a pretty small amount. Um, but I do know, like, quite a few men. But it's been great having, like, the network of just specifically vinyl female DJs. And... I've gotten to know so many, and they're amazing. They're so good. And, you know, it's really interesting. I'm not going to get into it too much, but it's – I think sometimes, and this is, of course, like the echoes of the world, but, like, um, you know, I think a lot of times people think that I get work because I'm, like, a a cute lady, and they don't really think that I'm, like – Oh, she's probably not that good at DJing. Just she's the you know she's a kitschy thing. She DJs vinyl. She, I'm like I'm really good. I'm really really good. And it's kind of sometimes it's a little frustrating because unless people see me, they just assume that I'm like kind of I'm banking off like something else. You know right. that it's not the that I'm actually into music or like you know educated about you it. You have such a deep knowledge of it. I do. I have and a deep knowledge of it. Personal uh, connection to it. I know, but um, it's great. I mean. I like giving the opportunity to, like, I run a few, like, female-centric nights, and I like giving opportunity to female DJs because they, they actually don't get it that much, you know? Yeah. It's it's interesting. So. Are there some coming up, too? More and more? Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I think more, like, I think that more women are getting into, like, especially, like, vinyl DJing because it's, like, Anybody with a laptop, it just is not. It's kind of lackluster. Anybody with a laptop, you have a disassociation with the music. It's a anonymous kind of track you downloaded. It's not this tangible thing you own that you searched for, that you purchased, that belongs to you. It's this ethereal idea of a song, you know? So I think more people are getting into vinyl, more DJs at least. Um, I don't know, at least in my world. But there's so many Goddamn DJ. They're like there's, comedians. There's, there's just of, so there's many. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reminded when you're talking about records that we had the record player that we used a lot. And every now and again, you'd have to get out that little felt wheel. Yes. Felt or it. something. Mm-hmm. And velour, whatever it was. And you did it spin and you'd hold it and it would clean out the grooves. I like a clean groove. I maybe. love a clean groove. So then how <laughs> did comedy intersect with this? Um. So... It always okay. I, I guess I just got into it. I was always like a funny kid. I guess I don't know. I hate saying that <laughs> shit. I, I was always a funny kid. Let me start back to when I was born. Um, my no, I, I guess um, I don't know. Comedy's always been super important to me, and uh, uh, just when I was a kid, like just watching you know movies and shows and everything yeah. like that. I was a huge fan of like Steve Martin when I was a kid, and. Um, yeah, just always a big fan of it. Um, neither of my parents, by the way, are funny people. My father like <laughs> recognizes humor in this way. He's like, he's like, huh, that's funny. Like ha- barely laughs. Wow. Yeah, it's very interesting. He's a tough one to have in the crowd. But two of his favorite movies of all time, two of his favorite movies are really describe who he is. Um, favorite movie of all time, Animal House. 
and Deer Hunter. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't be more. <laughs> no, I got them now Just, in my mind. It's very yep. weird. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, neither of my parents. No, are... I think those were two like uh, real um, uh, specific movies for people. Yeah. And they made an impact. Yeah, I mean, but I think they both enjoy. My parents both like enjoy humor, but it wasn't really. My parents are not funny people by any means. <laughs> right. So. Deer um, Hunter, hilarious. Yeah, just a yeah. class. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I love De Niro's part. Um, but yeah, I guess I just got into it um, about five years ago or so. I was always interested in it. I was always like writing and stuff. And um, I started taking classes at UCB, which I think is just, it's a gateway a gateway drug into yes. stand-up. So um, I started lucrative. Yeah, started doing um, classes at UCB, and you know I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but there was something missing. Like there was something. Uh, my voice. I felt like it, it's a it's a participation thing. You know, you're yeah. working with other people. Um, Who taught your first level class? Oh, I think Billy Merritt. Okay. Um, oh God, I don't. Do even... you remember the other folks? I don't. That's okay. I don't. I mean, like, it was it was great. I really think it was amazing because it, it allowed me to enter comedy. And remember, I think it was in my 301 or 201 class, I met these guys that were like, we, you know, you're funny. We're going to open mics. You should come with us. And I was like, oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> like, so terrified. But prepared some stuff, went to an open mic, did it, felt, I mean, bombed horribly but felt good like it felt yeah. it felt nourishing and I was like okay I'm gonna start doing this um and that was about four years ago or something um you know and there's been some breaks but basically from the last two years I've been actively embedded and pursuing stand-up quite a bit and what I like about it and I, I want to sorry answer your question initially which is what how that intersection happened of between mm -hmm. the kind of music and comedy and um you know, I'm a DJ. I play records. I play other people's music to express myself. These are not my music. I don't produce this music. I'm not creating new tracks. I'm merely a collector. The um, the creative ability of that is pretty limiting. You know, it's mm -hmm. not really... I'm playing other people's music. That's really just what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And it's fun, and I really do enjoy it. I, I, I get an intrinsic value from it, definitely. But it's... Yeah, it's just very limiting creatively. And and whereas stand-up, these are my ideas, my thoughts, then transcribed to paper, then reworked into like a, you know, a, a way it, that's me. And then it's my voice, and then I'm performing it too. I mean, it's purely unadulterated me, and it feels very creatively fulfilling. So I really enjoy DJing, but it's not something that there's that much longevity in, too. And it's like, how far do you get as a vinyl DJ? You don't really get that far, which is totally fine. I mean, I, I love doing it, and I'll do it as long as I can. But my trajectory and my goal is, like, I mean, I put lots into comedy because yeah. that's kind of what I want to – that's what I want to do with my life. That's mm -hmm. uh, how I want to go out. So that sounds so weird. I want to be murdered on stage at a comedy <laughs> show. No, I just I want to I want to funnel most of my energy into that because it it's feels so feels great. I love doing it. Yeah. I like a lot of what you've just said, especially <laughs> the idea identifying it as nourishing and uh, this notion of playing other people's music is um uh, that can happen until you find your own voice too, until you figure out what it is you want to say and express and uh that's a nice way to think about it and your 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 comedic persona at least as i've seen it is um uh you have a great physicality 
is kind of fearless, and uh, there's a just a goofiness uh, there that's really has that. Is that what you mean by you were a funny kid? You have some of those, uh, that stuff comes naturally, I assume. Well, when I say funny kid, too, I was very nerdy. I was very, I was not liked. I was very, I just like, I wore like, you know, Marshall's discount bin stuff. And I just like, I was just dorky. And so like, you have to, how do you combat that as a kid? You have to get funny. You have to yeah. be funny. I wasn't really that cute. I dressed super weird. I acted really weird. My parents were kind of weird. I like it was just I'm like okay, well, what do I? How do I do this? I'm like I'll just be the funny one, <laughs> and then I just perfect so, uh, comedy recipe. Yeah, it was it was yeah. kind of nice. So um, yeah, being funny was like oh, I guess she's not, you know, we'll have her around, you know. So <laughs> right, you can play that role within the social. Uh, yeah. Circle. So I mean, yeah, it was definitely super goofy. But I remember the first. This is so. This, this is gonna be forgive anybody's listening to this for like being so cheesy right now but I remember the first I hate these fucking stories of people like the first time I made someone laugh and I knew I could like but I'm gonna do that right now it's the truth it's okay it's okay it's okay when I was in uh, fifth grade we did like outdoor ed and I went to we had like a talent show at the end of like all the different camps and everything and uh, I used to do a this is so dumb I used to do this German woman's accent as a, I think I was ten. Um, somebody affiliated with a school, or just uh, just uh, just thought invented? it was funny. Yeah, and <laughs> they loved it, and they were like, "You got to do that at the talent show." And I was like, "Okay." And this was a talent show for like all of the camps, and this yes. is from all over. So this was about two to three hundred kids, Ooh. you know, huge. Yeah. And they're like, "You got to go up and do." It. I'm like, "Cool, I'll do it." So I go and I do it. And it was so, I probably was like, would you like some sausage? Something stupid as shit. And (laughs) everyone loved it and laughed. And I remember being like, oh my God, this is so cool. So I kind of like, I retrospectively remember that moment of like, that was like the first time I think I made like a large group of people laugh based upon like my ideas or my jokes or whatever, my physicality. And it felt really cool. So then I kind of connected to, I'm like, oh, that was a, Maybe that was why I like it. I don't know. I you fucking ever bring hate her that back? story. Um, in in some elements, yeah. I mean, I do like a my Persian realtor's uh, voice, so that's kind of I don't know. Yeah. So forgive me for the cheesy story. That's always the I hate when people tell those it's stories. Okay. It's okay. When I think things are, are truthful, it's all right. Yeah. You know, you got that. That happened. You it were happened. the German sausage lady. I was lady. a German sausage lady. It made lady. an impact on you. I like how I made like idiot ten year olds <laughs> laugh, and I was like, you know, I knew like they're such dumbasses for laughing at that. It was like, just not like. Well, now you can judge them, but in the moment, it felt so uh, authentic. I felt pretty damn good because I was also. And 10. now you take the laughs where you get them. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, how you feel uh, that stand up is going now for you? You know, it's been it's been really great. I mean, like it's one of those things where like. You start off sucking so hard, and it's you just start off bad. Everybody starts off bad. It's tough. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Um, and the interesting thing is, like, if you're a musician and you're like, you know, you're picking up a guitar, you can be bad by yourself in your room. You can't be bad by yourself as a comedian. You got to be publicly bad for like over a year. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's real hard. Yeah. Um, but it's been honestly like since this trip. I mean, I did a show last night, and it was. Amazing, and I did a show the night before, and it was so great. And um, I feel like you know I'm pretty new to the comedy world in the sense of like, you know, I've been doing stand up yeah for like 
three and a half years, something like that, maybe four years. And like, so I'm pretty kind, you know, pretty new. Um, and he just, it's amazing. Like there's kind of this point where you hit, where you just like, you start getting better and better. Like you suck, you suck, you suck. And then you start getting better and better. And then the trajectory I feel like happens a bit fast. You're yeah. like, oh, now I kind of get it. And I know that there's going to be like a slump, like any growth, you know, I might be like going really well and then there might be another kind of plateau. And then, but I, I feel like it's been going great. And the last few shows like I've been doing here in New York have been amazing. I have a show tonight and it's cool to be able to come from LA and go to New York and like make different people laugh, you know, I'm like, yes. oh, this is such a great exercise. I love it. It's, it's been it's been great. I mean, I've, I've been really happy. Um, and I produce, you know, as you know, a bunch of shows in L.A. too. And right. um, that's really fulfilling. And to kind of be a part of the community like that and mm-hmm. create spaces for other comedians to share their voices. So that's nice. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great – I mean, as you know, you're, you know, you're a comedian. And, like, the comedy community is the most supportive, amazing, like, great people that all help each other out. It's like a great, like – I think it's a great place to be. It's like church, you know? It is. It's like church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like In some ways church. a little better. Mm. <laughs> but yes. Uh, and uh, it is once you get to be somebody who can get a laugh, well, you're in. You know, and then it's so sure. Get on this show. Get on. And it's just getting better. I mean, I I think getting better. Just getting better, and that just takes time and honing in on your own voice and what it is and reaching that truth. Because that's what is funny is like when you are able to like reveal yourself. Yes. You know. Those moments are wonderful. Oh, they're so good. When they happen, and I have great admiration for comics, especially such as yourself, too. Going out and hey, I'm going to be in New York. Set up the gigs. I know I've said on this uh, show that I tend to, or the more theatrical or people, but I also love when a joke takes me to a different place. So it's not that there has to be a whole whiz-bang operation going on, but if you can uh, take me on an imagination trip, well, I'm happy to go along with you. And uh, I, But I really admire the work ethic of stand-up, too. Yeah, I mean, it's like... I think it's, it's great to because you got to get your just you got to get your dick knocked in the dirt for so long, and I think that really well humbles. Said. Yeah, well said. <laughs> uh, my figurative dick. Um, yes, but I think that makes you like so um, like such a stronger person because I mean I I know so many standups that are amazing like they're on like TV they're huge names and uh, they're so humble they're yeah. not egotistical they're not like I'm the fucking best I'm. F- great i make people laugh it's like because they sucked for so long that you always have that with you and you can always suck too yeah. you know like <laughs> yeah. you can still bomb can you can st- yeah you can <laughs> yep. still suck and they know that so it's cool i like it well it's also <laughs> important uh, as we're talking about to team up with good folks mm-hmm. and uh you're still doing projects with max yes i am yes uh, a comedic partner Yes. And uh, how did you get into making videos for BuzzFeed? Because you do a lot with him over there, right? Yes, I do. Um, Are you also together, The Basic Flowers? Is that still going? Yeah, yeah, we're both running that as okay. well. Which is a kind of hidden space in Los Angeles. Yes. And I have to get to the next oh time Oh, my I'm God, it's wonderful. It's very magical. Uh, it's a huge, like, warehouse space that has a gallery as well as a performance space. Um, and, you know, it has, like, risers in the seats and it has a... 
you know, we have a projector screen, so we do screenings, we do have, we have a bar, we have like all these art installations in there. It's it's forty five hundred square feet space. It's That's really huge. yeah. Um, and we do a lot of comedy. I do a comedy show there, and it's it's a great spot. It's really fun. It's hard to run, but it's fun. Yeah, well, um, but yeah, with BuzzFeed, my friend was a. Um, is a director and he was working as a director for BuzzFeed for quite a while. And so he kind of just brought Max and I in to act in some videos. And then the BuzzFeed team really liked us, um, kind of separate of our friend working there too. So um, like, you know, if you guys have any ideas, you know, write out some, you know, present some stuff to us. So, you know, we were doing that for a while and like just writing videos for them and acting in some random videos, some some we didn't write and produce, some that we did. Um, and they kind of they give you a lot of space to kind of express yourself. So if you yeah. have a loose idea and a loose concept, they're all about like, put it out there, put it out there. You know, I mean, they're There's a pace. To oh, it. their model is yeah. it's like fast food. You know, so they're just like thirty videos a day. Um, so yeah, they're uh, they but they give you kind of like if you're just like have a loosey goosey idea and you just kind of want to like improvise your way through it while you're filming it, they're really open to that. So it's it's pretty fun. Like you can kind of reach some magic there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been now just kind of doing like I haven't really been writing for them anymore, but just like acting in their videos because mm-hmm. like any large conglomerate, there's like your voice can be like twisted and turned quite a bit and then you're like oh that wasn't really my idea but now I can't even produce that idea myself because they they're doing it and so I it's it's the best of both worlds I think because you have the platform like BuzzFeed is amazing because like if I am in a video it gets like a million views I'm like that's undeniable that's amazing (laughs) that's so cool um but also like do I get to like fully have my idea? But it's it's a it's good. You get to like work with other people and you know. Yeah, yeah. It's and you nice. build those skills and then, yeah. yeah, get comfortable on camera and all that kind I of like, stuff. I like I like it. And now I've been doing stuff with Super Deluxe, um, oh, yes. and they're great. I I love their videos. Um, and then yeah, just I produce stuff as well, like Adults Incorporated. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not. That's my like. Um, that's uh, my other writing partner. Him and I produce these sketches and. Uh, they're just fun. They're just super <laughs> just, fun. Just They're just fun. delightful. <laughs> They're just fun. But I love make I love making stuff. <laughs> oh well, lovely. you're doing great yes. at it. That's for sure. <laughs> um, and it seems to me you have the right sensibility, the right perspective. You know the right people. Um, you've got the hustle down. I guess so. Just, I never feel this way. You never feel like it's I never a good, f- good, good moment. No, or just like I'm always kind of like I don't know things are. What am I even doing? You know the self doubt. But that doesn't go away. Yeah, and you kind of need it. I think it anchors you. It's yeah. like you gotta have that. You gotta feel like you're dying all the time. <laughs> a little bit, not like in a negative way. I don't feel like I'm dying all the time in a negative way. No, but you need to have some uh, force. Uh, yeah, or a little bit of resistance. Not unlike Orange County and the punks. Yeah. you have to have Ooh. something to to move against to wow. keep you hungry and strong. I like that full circle approach. Mm, see what I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I always mean to ask this question of my guests, and I never get around to it. But because you are such a creature of the night with these DJ shows. Yes. and comedy shows. Um, do you have any just uh, epic deep night stories, something that happened in those wee hours that oh. uh, you would feel comfortable sharing? You don't have to um, go too far out there, but something that was outrageous or 
Oh, God, I don't even know where to begin, Dale. Because they're all <laughs> so great. I just like, I mean, like, I there's so many. Um, Something goodness. that could only happen at like 4 a.m. Okay. Um, oh, my God. I'm at a loss. <laughs> Can I, like, do you have any, like, I don't know. Like, to give, give me, like, Something some keywords. You, a character maybe you, you observed. Uh, doing something at that hour or some interaction that you had that uh, you say you got a lot of uh, odd requests and things, but maybe there was some, you're at a party wrapping up, something happens. Okay, okay. Uh, we're getting closer? We're getting closer in my brain. I just also like can't, there's like stories that I'm like, I don't, I can't say that. Like you're, I just, like, passing them yeah, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Swipe, 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 swipe. swipe. Uh, um, I mean... I have I have a lot of fun. I like to have quite a lot of fun. And so yeah, I just I mean, I am out late at night a lot and I have really silly interactions with people whether I be especially with DJing cuz it's just like it's just absurd. And people, you know, when they drink, they're they a little messy. They get pretty messy. They turn into toddlers <laughs> and they also are they're bad at getting drunk. A lot of people are very bad at it, and they should not do it. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. really not good at it. Um, I'm very good at it. I'm extremely well at it. You I keep it all together. Oh, it's like a until I come home, and then the ribbon gets pulled, and yes. then it all comes out. <laughs> um, I guess. Okay, so I am. This is such a dumb. I just am trying to think of like what's a, f- a fun story, but like. I would judge me so hard if I was talking about this. Um, I have been to Burning Man. Yes. And it's very fun. Yeah. I recommend it. It's great. Um, There you can see the most absurd, insane, absurd, just insane stuff that makes no sense. Usually at like six in the morning in the middle of absolutely nowhere. where You're just like, is this? How, like it just everything looks like a mirage. You're just like this is this can't be real. Um, so I remember, okay, I remember being in the middle of the playa, which is this like large, expansive um, kind of deserty space, and there's kind of not a lot going on. There's these art dust. cars, dust. dust. There's Bikes. dust. Um, I'm just, yes, I'm just walking, walking for so long, mm-hmm. and I see this car. This car that the front of it is two giant boobs, and the ba- and each um, I'll, I'll describe the entire vehicle. It's absurd. So the front of it is two gigantic boobs with like kind of um with straws on each end, and one of the straws is a vodka, and the other straw is coconut water. So you suck on these boobs and you get a drink. Oh, you I know, see. Yep. of course. Yep. The back of it is a gigantic. Six foot tall vagina. Oh. And it's made out of like bungee cords. You just, you can walk. So you open up the vagina and you walk into it. And it's a whole, just the inner workings of like an intestine and everything. And this person who built it took apart a McDonald's playpen. And so you go through all these tubes and tunnels. And then he was like, try to find the womb room. I'm like, what is, could this possibly be? So I, I go into the slide and I go down the slide through this trap door yeah. and I land in a room filled with pink satin. 
And satin and velvet, just pink satin and velvet. Just like a womb. Just like a womb. And I <laughs> I was with my partner at the time. Yes. And, of course, you do what one does when you're in the womb room. Feeling amorous. And you have sex in a moving vehicle moving through the desert. <laughs> and that's what you do. And after that, we walked... <laughs> We left and we walked, um, we got grilled cheeses in the middle wow. of the desert. And then we saw, I mean, I'm going to say anywhere between 17 to 20 people having sex with each other. So that was interesting. At the grilled cheese kiosk? <laughs> Just like a little, <laughs> kind of near near there, actually yeah. very a little too close. <laughs> a little too close <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I know that's kind of a lousy story, but it's just. I mean, oh no, it's not lousy at all. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Do you tip the driver in that situation? No, you just kind of give them like a kiss on the cheek, and they say, "There's no money in Burning Man, dude." Didn't you know that? It's just all about good vibes. Whatever you can provide, whatever they can provide, and you know what? The playa provides. (laughs) It's. Oh, that's why I'm never gonna go. Yeah, you don't. If you don't want to go, don't. That's why I, I tell like people like story. I don't know. Yeah, it's... I like someone thinks uh, they're driving along the um, the strip malls and everything, and they see a McDonald's playset, and they think, Ah, <laughs> I know what I can use. I'm gonna that make for. young people fucking that. <laughs> I'll put it in my womb car, <laughs> womb sex car. Wow. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot to think through. I know. It's too much. (laughs) It's a little too much. (laughs) Playing other people's music. Uh, I live vicariously through my guests, though, Nina. So I appreciate that. That's been a lot. It's been a lot of fun. So this has probably been really fun for you. You can like go back to these. It's it's great. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I'd love to do a project with you sometime. We should do it. Absolutely Um, love to. Next time we'll get together. Next time we're in the same city. I will be here in June. Again, for a friend's wedding. All right. Uh, Well, I'm happy to go to the wedding, so thank you (laughs) for the invite. Oh, thank God. You got any somebody to come uh, coming up that you want to let people know about? Well, when does this come out? This will be out uh, Thursday of this week and then uh, forever. Oh, so in two days. In two days. In two days. Okay, well, in two days I'll be back in Los Angeles. Yes. Um... I guess okay. So I have a show on the twenty fifth at Basic Flowers. Okay. Um, it's called Frown Town. It's my monthly show. I've been running. I host it. I produce it. It's great comedians. We have Matt Bronger and uh, Eliza Sing- uh, Skinner and um, Moses Storm and some. I'm still booking it. So <laughs> some more people. Um, but yeah, I mean. Everything is online for it's me. Online. Just look online. I DJ so much, and it's all up there. It's I, all on your site. It's all on my site, or it's all uh, on you know Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. So for comedy shows and DJing and any other inquiries, uh, refer to the internet. Refer to refer our to Nina Tar and the internet. The internet. <laughs> yes. Great. Well, thank you so much, Nina, thank for you. being here. I hope to see you again. I would love to see you again. Have a, a, a lovely time. That was a really weird way to thank say Thank you. No, it's oh, I will have a lovely thanks for time. Having you me. too. <laughs> There you have it. A fine time with Nina Tarr. I do hope you'll look her up and go see her do comedy or spin some records. San Francisco, you're up next for me. Then we'll be back here in New York for more shows at the Slipper Room in February. Till next time, remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. 
Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, Season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>